Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. I'd like to welcome you to another night of Rednecks uh, Pride Outdoors. It's a podcast where we talk about hunting, trapping, and fishing here in the Northeast and here lately across the country. We're getting a lot of folks coming on from across the country out in Mississippi. Tonight, we've got a gentleman from Florida, a a great turkey caller. I'm really excited about this show tonight. Uh, Scott Ellis. He's uh, scottellishunting.com. He uh, has some videos out there. He's a well, I'll let you tell. I'll let Scott tell you about some of the uh, the accomplishments that he's done. But I'm extremely happy about this show tonight. We're going to be talking about turkeys, turkeys, and turkeys, and how to kill turkeys, <laughs> how to call turkeys, how to fluff turkeys. We're, you 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 name it, we're going to talk about it. All right, Scott has promised me the other day that he's going to let all the secrets out. So you boys, uh, <laughs> you boys are are going to understand everything he does. Uh, I envy Scott. He's down there in Florida. Uh, one of these days I'm going to get down there and I'm going to hunt one of those Osceolas. That, that is my dream burn to hunt. But, uh, Scott, how in the heck are you doing tonight? I am doing fantastic, Ron. Having a, having a little bit of rainy weather, a little bit of cool spell coming in central Florida here for the next couple of days. We're having fifties for highs and thirties for lows. Can you believe that? <laughs> <laughs> well, those oranges are still pretty good though, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. Right now they're still doing good. The strawberries are doing good. Everything's doing good, but we'll see how this freeze. I think it's supposed to actually freeze tomorrow evening. So we'll see how it all pans out. <laughs> well, at least you didn't get any of that ice that was just a little bit north of you up into Alabama and Georgia, I think in, in that area up there, correct? Oh yeah. We, well, we left the national convention, the 2015 uh, NWTF national convention and then the uh, grand nationals. And, uh, we just did fly out in front of that huge weather event, that winter weather event that trapped a lot of people up in Nashville for a couple of days. So we're glad that we, we dodged that bad weather. But <laughs> You know, speaking of the Nationals, I hear uh, I hear you did pretty doggone good down there this year. Is that true? I had, I had a heck of a run, man. I'm, I'm very proud and very pleased. Um, I won the head-to-head division. I won the preliminary event for the Senior Open, and then I played second in the Open. To a good buddy of mine, Billy Argus, who uh, won his second Grand National Senior Open title, and I'm very proud and pleased for him. And couldn't have asked, and couldn't have been happier for anybody else than Billy Argus. I tell you, being the champion. So, but it was a great run for me that week for last weekend. Well, I want to congratulate you on that. But I, but I, th- I think I, I think there's a little bit more pride that I need to hear about is something about your your your, your boy. Was that it? Is that all I heard? Absolutely, my little my little man, Jake Ellis. Uh, competed in the Pulse Division for the first time ever and uh, placed third. And um, so proud of him. He ran all diaphragms. And he had to assembly up, plain yelp, cut, and cluck and purr. And he did it all on diaphragm mouth calls and placed third. And I'm just so proud of him. I'm, that's awesome. I love seeing little kids running mouth calls. <laughs> and, and, and how old is he? He's eight years old, eight years old. Oh, I bet your wife loves both of you. Sit walking around the house all day long, just clucking and, and cutting and all that kind of stuff. Doesn't well, you? you know, I think after nine years of marriage tomorrow, our anniversary is tomorrow, and then we've been together 11 years, 12 years. 
total, she's kind of gotten immune to it. <laughs> she literally just functions with it all going on in the background and honestly doesn't even pay any attention. It's just like watching TV. <laughs> well, I, I'll tell you what, between me and the boys and, and, and making calls and selling calls and all that type of stuff, um, my wife will actually hide our calls. You know, if it's coming <laughs> duck season, she'll take the calls and she'll hide them. If, if, it's, it's, if it's turkey season, well, she learned not to do with the turkeys because we always got diaphragms around. We'd just go to the box and grab another one. But <laughs> right, right, right. Well, the duck calls, she's a little more annoyed by the duck calling. When I, when, you know, I do a lot of waterfowl hunting myself, and when I start hail calling on the old, on the single reed duck call, she gets a little aggravated because that's so, so loud. But, <laughs> but the turkey calls, she's going immune to. So. <laughs> well, you know, here, here's a question because there's a lot of, and, and actually it, it, it sparked an interest in me the other day. I was. I was on one of the public forums out there, and, and I was listening to a couple guys. Talk. It might have been in your forum. I don't know. Um, and, and the guys were talking about the uh, uh, competition callers versus uh, true blue hunting callers. And, right. um, you know, there is a difference. And, and, and tonight we're not going to talk about the competition callers, are we? We're going, we're going to talk about hunting calls. Hunting but, and killing turkeys. How about that? Yeah, exactly. Uh, what advice – Real quick, before we get into talking about how you do it, it there seems to be a, a big push for for the new guy to put that old diaphragm in his mouth, to put that box call in his hand, his pot call, and he wants to he he wants to imitate the guys on the stage. What what, what would you what would you say to that at, at, for the, for that guy that's going out there hunting? Well, I mean, you know, we have a minute to run a full segment of turkey, uh, paint a picture, if you will, of a turkey scenario, and. Um, what we do in that minute isn't exactly how you would call to a turkey in a sequence in the woods. But what you are doing is you're, you're learning to master that call, whether it be a friction call, a tube call, a mouth call, whatever you use on stage, you're learning to master that call. And the key is the simple fact is once you master that call, when you're under that pressure from a gobbler, not from a judge, you can simply make the call you want to make when you need to make it. And that's one thing that competition calling will do for anybody that's out there that wants to tinker around with a stage and then take it to the woods. It just it creates a better, more versatile caller. And if you can create those sounds when you want to create them, as opposed to a lot of guys who struggle with it because they get excited and they get wound up by the gobbler, that, that can be detrimental to creating the call you want to create or getting softer or quieter when your heart's beating 1,000 beats a minute and you're breathing real heavy. When you do it and take it to the stage and then you bring that to the woods, it helps control all those factors and, and puts you in the woods as a better caller. Yeah, yeah I agree with you 100%. And, and I, you, as you were talking about your heart pounding in your in your chest, and <laughs> and uh, I, I'm thinking of an old cobbler, you know, old Tom come walking up behind you. You don't know him because you're, you're listening to that Tom out in front of you, and he cuts right. loose about 20 yards behind you, and you're – you have to come up out of your seat. <laughs> yeah, a little, a little something runs down your leg, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. And that, that's the thrill. That's the thrill right there. Um, would you say that, you know, the average guy just needs to not do the intensity that the stage is and, and, and learn, like you said, the sounds, the notes? I call it talks or walks or words. You know, I when I talk to a turkey, I'm using the words of a turkey, not yeah, the yeah, not yeah, the, well. I mean, not only learning all of the sounds, it's, it's learning when to use the sounds and when, when to use them to what I call peak his mood or to adjust his mood. It's an attitude adjustment that you give a gobbler a lot of times is what brings him in the gun range. So um, the intensity is not really an issue, I think. It's just a simple fact of knowing when to say it and how often to say it. 
let's let's touch on that a little bit. You know, okay. you, you, and, and let's touch on the 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 the, the temperature. Um, you, the, the the old boy is out there, and we'll get into a lot of that stuff. I can see that tonight. We're going to, but you, you're sitting there, you got your backs against the old tree or or whatever, and you hear that old gobbler out there. What is it that you're looking for to see his temperature? Um, what is it you're actually looking to say? Do I want to spend a lot of time on this bird, or do I want to back off this bird, or do I want to get up right, and leave right. this bird? Well, I mean, the first telltale sign is just if he's if he's if he's very vocal and he's answering everything you're throwing at him. Um, you, you, if he and if and on secondly, is, is he moving towards you as you're communicating with him? And, and a general rule of thumb, and I talk about this all the time, and YouTube videos that I have out, I give little tips, and people ask me all the time. Start with the basics. Start with some clucking and some plain yelping, and just get his attention and get him coming. If that's all it takes, a lot of times that's all it takes to kill that turkey. You know, you don't have to. You don't even have to cut at him. You don't have to cluck and purr and and, and quiet down and, and calm him down. You just have to do the basics, and he comes running you over. You hope it's a it's a hot two year old that just comes running you over. But at the same time, you have to know when to step it up. Like you said earlier, based on his body language, a, a lot not not only his gobbling and his vocalizations, his forward progression, and if you have the luxury of looking at him and watching how he's is he strutting constantly and not wanting to move. Is he in and out of strut and making forward progression? That gives you an idea of how much and how aggressive you need to get to him and how much and how often you need to call to him. It's all, it's all based on forward progression. Is he moving towards you? Is he gobbling a lot? And if, if he's closing that deal, then you know that you don't have to do much more than playing the open cluck. If he's, if he's kind of hesitant, he's not real interested, then that's what I'm, what I'm going to do is I'm going to step it up. I'm going to supercharge him. I'm going to cut at him. I'm going to pick up my cadence when I'm yelping and show it convey excitement to try to get him excited. So now when you uh when you see him it's slowing up and you and you're and you're picking it up, are you going to are you going to start doing do you have a series in what you're trying to do? Do you have a, a preset series in your head of of cuts and and No, and, nothing nothing measure, nothing preset like like we do on stage at all. Just uh I like to mix a lot of cutting and yelping to try and peak his mood or give him an attitude adjustment basically. And that's then that's if he's just really lackadaisical, if you will, and he's not really interested in what's going on. That's when I'm going to spike up my calling. If he's running to you and you're just yelping a couple of times, you don't have to do a whole heck of a lot. He's that's a kamikaze turkey. That's our favorite kind. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a roaster. That's what we call him. There, here comes the roaster. The roaster. <laughs> yeah. Now, now when you when you get him out there and and he's and he's laid back and he's just standing out in the middle of the field. What 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 in your opinion? You know, he, there's that gold beard. He's got, you know, 10-inch, 11-inch beard, 12-inch right. beard sometimes. Good-sized bird. Looks like he's a five- or six-year-old bird. He's mature. And he's right. just, and, yeah, and he's just hanging out there in the mallet middle of the field. And you cut you cut into him, bam, you know. Giving it time. And he comes back at you, but he's just hanging out there. What do you think he's doing at that point? He's doing he's doing what nature's supposed to do, and that's the hen. Thank you. Waiting for the hen to go to him. At that point... If I've sucked the bird in, say, from 200 yards and he gets out there at 75 yards and then puts on the brakes and I'm playing with him for 10 minutes and I'm trying to supercharge him and it doesn't work, the best advice I can give anybody out there listening right now is shut up. Mm-hmm. Stop. Play cat and mouse with that gobbler. If he thinks that can if you shut up, if you can do it for 10, 12, 15 minutes and that hen thinks that you've walked off, or that gobbler, excuse me, thinks that you've walked off, I'm telling you seven out of ten times that bird will die because he cannot stand the fact 
that he was showing his rear end for everybody, for all these girls, that the sexy girl over here, and it ain't doing any good anymore, and she's walked off, he's going to come in that direction. He is going to come looking for that hen, if you can do it, shutting down. If, he do, if, he, if shutting down doesn't work at that point and he needs maybe more reassurance that you're real, that's when I'm going to cluck and purr and I'm going to whine and I'm going to soft-muted yelps and I'm just going to emulate feeding. Just I've, I've got content. I was excited now and I've got content, but I am desperately trying to convince him that there's something going on over here that he needs to come visit. And that's not capitalizing on the excitement. That's capitalizing on just the hen is over there. She's not going anywhere, and she's calmed down, and she's feeding. Again, age-old rule, what do you do? You cluck a purr, you take your hand, you're scratching the leaves, if you can, without being seen, and give those other types of turkey sounds that not necessarily as vocalizations. What, how, how are you doing your purrs with your mouth calls? Uh, how am I doing? I use, a, I use the tongue method, if that's what you mean. How am I actually yeah, I'm rolling, yeah, how I'm you fluttering, actually... fluttering my tongue? Yeah, some people can gargle. A uh, good buddy of mine, Joe Slate, out of California, phenomenal caller, won the gobbling division in the Grand Nationals this year, can purr all three ways. He can use his lips, his tongue, and do his uvula, which is the gargle method. But I myself cannot gargle with any consistency, so thank goodness I was blessed to be able to flutter my tongue. <laughs> right, all right. Uh, some and guys some do people, with their some lips, Some people too. use friction calls. I mean, some guys will lay a slate. You can lay a slate on the ground beside you. And it's going to be nice and muffled, and you can literally lay it on the ground and just get that striker and hit the heel of your hand on the edge of that slate and cluck and purr with that. And that way your gun is up on your knee and your, gun, and your hand is on, one hand is on the gun, and then you can hopefully slip your hand up to your receiver and your trigger and you can put it on him when he gets a little bit closer if that's what it takes with a friction call. If you can't, cluck and purr with a mouth call. Now, let's, let's, let's go down there How, with your, your densities down here. And, I, and I'll just throw New Jersey for And I told you about the 60-plus the, the, the birds that I saw yesterday. Right, right. And, and, and again, you know, when, when we get talking, everybody thinks New Jersey is a, you know, concrete and, and uh, oh, skyscraper. Oh, gosh, that's like New York, man. Same thing, but yeah, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, you get, down here, yeah, you get down here in the southern part of the state, we've got, we've got tons and tons of turkeys. I know somebody asked about a five-year-old bird. You know, when I mentioned five or six year old birds, crap! I got a bird in my in my course pasture right now that we've been trying to kill for five years. Oh my uh, god! <laughs> <laughs> that's the one you like right there. <laughs> that's the one we're going to kill one of these days. But anyway, getting back to to the numbers, what what are you what are you seeing as your densities uh, hens per per gobblers down there in in, in Florida on your osseoles? Oh my gosh! You know, it just depends on where you're hunting. I've hunted some private tracks where, you know, gobblers had 20 hens. Um, if you hunt public land, you're generally going to see a lot less hens with a gobbler, but enough hens to still cause chaos <laughs> during the springtime if he's, hen- if he's henned up real bad, you know. But, but it varies. It, it's, it's, so, it's so random. I mean, it just depends, I think, geographically on that particular turkey population where you're hunting. I mean, I've never been able to put any type of um, – of actual measurement on on a ratio on hen to gobbler, uh, no matter where I was hunting, I just kind of go in and feel it out and see what see what I'm working with, you know. So, well, now you, when you, and again, we're talking about the Osceola's sitting down now. Right, you know, I was right. down. I, I gave a trapping class, trapping course down in Florida about three years ago, and again, and I saw this old turkey look like an eastern to me, and and uh, we was in there February actually. I was the, right about now, honestly. Right. And I was and uh, we're giving this trapping course and. This, this old turkey walks out in front of me, and it looks like an eastern, and 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 they, there's an osceola. Now, that was in the palmettos and 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 the palmettos, or however you all say um, that. Palmettos, palmettos, or, or or southern slang is palmeters. 
I mean, yeah, but now, now, will you get will those birds, your, your osceolas, will they stick to the to that thick stuff all the time, or will they come out into the fields, or what? No, no, I don't think osceolas differ any more than any other turkey I've hunted across the, the U.S. I mean, I think a turkey, in my personal opinion, whether it's an osceola in eastern Rio, Miriam, I have not hunted gold, so I can't speak on those, but the other four I have hunted successfully, and. Um, I think a turkey uses his best means of defense. It, it uses he he capitalizes on it, and that's his eyes. And uh, even in Florida, now there are places where, for example, Ocala National Forest, super super thick, um, very very hard to hunt. Turkeys utilize the roads there tremendously. You'll catch birds all the time, gobbler strutting in those roads because that's the only place they can strut and and attract hens outside of vocalization and attract hens by by, by visuals. Um, so to answer your question, I think anywhere I hunt, I look for those turkey-looking places like I would in New York or, or Nebraska or anywhere else, even when I'm in Florida, and that's the more open pines, the live oak hammocks, uh, burned areas, pasture land, um, because turkeys, they use those eyes. And when a turkey's trapped up in a bunch of thick brush and palmettos, you know, he can get pounced upon by a bobcat or a coyote or even a Florida panther for that matter. And they cannot utilize that, that those eyes as best means of defense. So I, I, I really key on those same areas no matter where I'm hunting across the nation. Now, will you change up on your calling thinking wise if you're if you're calling thick stuff versus the open stuff? Uh, I mean, I, honestly, Ron, I mean, I try to avoid those thick areas. If I'm in an area that's thick like that, what best works best for me is I'm going to try to get around on that turkey and create a path of least resistance. So if he's on mm-hmm. the other side of a bay bush thicket or something, I'm going to try to get, and I've realized that, that that's probably why he's hung up, for example. I'm going to try to move around that turkey and get in position to him so I can create a path, easy way for him to get to this sexy hot hen that he's hearing. So as far as the calling tactics, I've caught him through some stuff. <laughs> Funny hunt in South Carolina about seven or eight, nine years ago. A good friend of mine, Kevin Kirkpatrick, and I were hunting. Funniest hunt I've ever been on. We walked down the edge of this little dead-end road that had a little turnaround place in the end of it. Uh, we stopped at the end of the road. We looked around. We said, my gosh, this is so thick. I don't know if we're going to hold any turkeys or not or if we're going to better call a turkey. I started cutting and yelping. A bird gobbled. I said, well, I'll be dang. A bird gobbled. Maybe there's an open pocket or something over there. I didn't know what was going on. Long story short, I started charging him up because he was a long distance away, and I knew it was thick. So I said, well, what do we got to lose? We can't move on him here because we're going to sound like a herd of elephants. So I started scalding his rear end for him and cutting and yelping and cutting and yelping. And the bird started gobbling, and it got closer and closer to the point where we had to set up. I said, this sucker's coming, okay? Well, long story short, it sounded like a herd of elephants breaking brush. It was that gobbler plowing through the thickest stuff. I don't think he'd ever heard a hen in his life, bless his heart, because he was breaking limbs and knocking trees down. And the funniest thing, we were set up on that little circular turnaround place on the end of this dead-end road, and that bird popped out and, and flew the ditch and popped out right in gun range, and I smoked him at 20 yards. But that's one of the only times that I can remember in 30 years of turkey hunting where you would like to say, my call's so good, I caught him through bushes and hedges and everything else. But but generally, it, I guess if you were asking, do you call in the thicker stuff, if you were going to do it, you better call a lot and call aggressive to try to get his attention and get him all, get him all fired up. But outside of that, I'm going to try to find a place that's easier for him to get to me. So. Yeah, and 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 again, I'm an, like we was talking the other day. I am an aggressive caller, not in volume, but but I do I do a lot of talking. And again, we're hunting thick stuff to where you might only see twenty yards if right, you're lucky. Right, right, right. 
and 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 that that you know when we get out in the open, it's the same thing. Now, you, you, when you're talking about firing up, and and I know there's a lot of newer guys out there that's listening to you say fire up, fire up, fire up. What what are the sounds if you can name them? Okay, I can't have you do that on the phone. You'll blow my ears out. But um, what what are some of the the the, the sounds that you're going to do to per se fire up a bird? Well, I mean. From from a hen perspective, it's just simply cutting and excited yelping. Hard cutting, okay. you know. That's just me, natural voice. But, I mean, right. literally just jazzing him up as you're an aggressive hen, you're upset about something, or you're one trying to get his attention and get him, you're trying to beckon him to come to you. And that's simply all it is. Now, if you're going the other direction, you can fire a gobbler up aggressively by doing some fighting purrs and staging a fight with a wing or even goblin at him, you can also you can you can capitalize on his mood and his aggression by challenging him and getting him fired up on the gobbler side with some a fight or with gobbling at him and challenging him. So gives you a little bit of both right. angles there. All right, let's, let's just change gears just a little bit because in the early season, what do we know? And, and I was leading to this back, and I got entrenched by your talk. I forgot what the point I was going after. Uh, uh, you're but, talking about firing him up and cutting and yelping and firing well, him no, I mean, that, that, that was a big rabbit trail there. Um, <laughs> Don't take the, the blue the, pill, Ron. Leave the blue <laughs> pill alone. <laughs> the, uh, the hens, you know, you, you, like Jersey, the Northeast here, tremendous amount of hens. You might have 10, 12 gobblers, and you might have 20 hens out in that field right. what are you going to do in those early seasons you're coming at you you walk out into that pasture you look out and you're seeing hen after hen after hen fly, flying out of the trees you see the gobblers standing there they don't know which way to strut they're strutting this way strutting that way they're running from hen to hen what are you doing at that point oh my gosh well i mean that that sounds to me like like you said an early an early season scenario where you have essentially got a, a flock that has a completely established pecking order Exactly. And and they are truly still flocked up. Um, yes. Don't get that very often. That kind of magnitude of a flock in Central Florida or in Florida for Osceola's, I, you know, I don't think you see that very often. But what I would do if the situation presented itself is I would if if I I would obviously try to communicate with the whole wad of the birds and just start chit chatting. And I would probably sound like I would be the loudest, nastiest, most pissed off hen in the whole group trying to gather their attention, and, and that works very, very often. I had something similar to what you're talking about happen on an open weekend hunt about seven or eight seasons ago, and uh, all I did literally was sit there and raise. I was running a, a pot call and a mouth call at the same time, and this sounded like a hen fight going on, and I actually grabbed the attention of the whole wad of birds, and they wandered over, and my buddy and I doubled. Um, outside of that, you can also you can kiki run in that situation. You're almost encountering some type of a or a, a, a false type flock. You can also kiki run and do some you know loud lost yelping like there's a younger hen that's out of the flock that should be in the flock and she's not with the flock. And you can try to capitalize on those hens in that situation. Um, but a lot of that and that and that type of deal is can be contingent on either trying to call to the hens and either attack attack their 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 dominance. Or, or exploit the fact that they're moms and they're still not far removed from fall, and you can do law shelping and kiki running and that type of thing to try to suck the hens to you, leaving the gobblers over there with you. So that's kind of what I would do if I had that situation, which is, has occurred to me once or twice over the years. So, well, I, I tell you what, if you want more, come on up here. We'll we'll, we'll feed it <laughs> to you all the way. Uh, okay, but, you know, but that kiki run and 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 either even the what I call the wines. <laughs> 
oh, yeah. uh, work very well. And, and that's something that, you know, again, what you just said it goes against the grain of a lot of turkey talk in that um, the Kiki run never works in the in the spring. You never use it. Um, oh, gosh, that's so far from the truth. I, 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 I know. Yeah, um, I mean, there's some people that I, w- I believe there's some people that do that that are more proficient callers that use it regularly. I've done it just on a whim and caught a gobbler up that was hung up. Um, why did that happen? Mm, I've got a couple theories. One of them, usually it's a two-year-old, um, and when you're kiki into that to that bird, um, that two-year-old bird is not far removed from being a juvenile bird. And I think sometimes the the, uh, the brotherly sisterly instincts come out, and he hears that younger hen, and he likes the sound of that younger hen, and he comes over here. The other fact of it is, simply put, is if you're hunting pressured birds, not a whole lot of guys can effectively kiki run. And when they hear it, it just adds another level of realism. And two or three, actually, is just the high-pitched whistle of a kiki sometimes strikes a nerve with a gobbler. We, I don't know exactly why it just does. So kiki run is very effective in the springtime. It's something... I would I would challenge everybody to learn to do and have it there if you have one hung up to try because it definitely can't hurt. You uh, when you when you're when you're out there calling what's what's what are you mainly doing? You, you mentioned it already. You was running a mouth call and a and a, a pot or a box call. Do you typically start off with those and then end up with one call or or what? It, what is it? How is how is it how is it going to work? How do I start off? You? I mean. If it's a morning hunt, we can start. We can classify this in morning, mid-morning, lunchtime, and then mid-afternoon, late afternoon. I mean, I'm going to start off with mouth calls in the morning. Obviously, trying to find a bird that's roosted, set up tight on him. Um, if that doesn't work from there, we're going in the mid-morning, and we're probably going to get on our feet. If the birds are gobbling good, and you have a good feel for the birds gobbling good, I'm going to get on my feet, and I'm going to start trying to find you know that active bird that's that's looking for love, if you will. Um, but I mean, as far as call choice, as, as you go into lunch and mid morning or, or late or uh, lunchtime, early afternoon, mid afternoon, or whatever, I mean, I'm always I'm a mouth call guy. I run friction. Um, I love running friction a lot more when I'm set up blind calling, or I will sometimes run and gun with a with a pot call. But ultimately, if I'm if I'm mouth calling, I'm set up on a bird. If I'm running and gunning, I'm going to use a tube call. Okay, I love running a tube call. It's a very it's a it's a very realistic sounding call. It's a sound a rich toning sound that that most hunters don't go. You don't go to a WMA or even go to places private places and people run a tube call. So it's a great locator. It's loud. It's very resonant. You can cut very hard on it. So I do a lot of running and gunning with a tube call. Sometimes a friction call. Sometimes I'll whip out a box call just because I'm tired of running the others. And then when I sit down on a gobbler about. Uh, in 30-something years, I don't know that I've sat down and called a bird up with friction, you know, because I like my hands free. The age-old the age old analogy or whatever you want to call it, you know, I like running a mouth call. It's hands-free operation, and if you're proficient on it, it's probably going to be one of the most realistic sounding. So I, uh, that, that's kind of how I roll, man. I, I start off, again, if it's daybreak, I'm with a mouth call. I'm going to tree call to him, give a fly down. You know, the, the, the basic scenario you've heard for 100 years. I don't like to talk a lot to a turkey on the roost because he'll sit there and gobble. And um, if I'm hunting pressured areas, he like you might he might gobble up other hunters. So, um, but as a general rule of thumb, I'm going to run and gun with a tube. I might slide in a box call or a, or a friction in a pot style call. But when I sit down, I'm going to run a mouth calling, buddy. That's all there's to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I I I I'd rather have mouth calls myself too. 
Now, you know, when you're when you're talking, you're coming in on the roost. Now, we, we talked a little bit ahead of time, but uh, mm-hmm. what's your thought? What's your thoughts on uh, the the decoys? You're, you're not for them, are you? No, I mean, I'm not a big advocate of decoys. I um, started turkey hunting in the late '80s, mid '80s. Um, the, the the decoy boom hit. I want to say in the early '90s, the feather flex foam decoys, those ugly old decoys. And I said, "Wow, this must be a really awesome thing." So I'm gonna I'm gonna buy one of these twenty five dollar decoys back then, and start employing it and trying it. And I started setting the thing up, and I had gobbler after gobbler after gobbler would get out there at seventy five yards and stop, and he'd see that old hen, and he'd look at that hen, and he'd hang up on her, and then eventually he'd tuck his wings and walk off. I had it happen so many times. Now, mind you, there's plenty of times that for a lot of people, that gobbler will run in to that decoy and strut and do his thing and it works. I'm not I'm not I'm not bashing decoy users. But what I learned after that experience and those couple of seasons I was employing decoys that I would rather set up on the the bend in a road or I'd rather set up in a place where that bird had to come take a look and by the time he come to take that look and he, he snuck in to find the sexy hen, he was in gun range and he was dead. And that, and that applies to hunting pasture birds, and instead of hunting the edge of the pasture and plopping a decoy, I'll slide 30 yards inside the wood line on the edge of that field and use that advantage. He, he has to come look, look at this hen. And gobblers, as we well know, if they're not hanging up on you, pulling the old hang-up shenanigans, they will come in and make visual, make a visual with that hen. And sometimes with decoys at work, sometimes they don't. But my, my general rule of thumb is I don't carry a decoy, the only time I usually employ a decoy is a strutter, and that's when I've hunted it, had the option of hunting a bird for a few days, and I know he's a dominant bird, and I'm going to go in there and I'll, put, I'll pop a strutter. I have one strutter I've had for seven or eight years, and it just sits in my shed, and, I, and I'll throw it in the back of the truck, and it rides around all season <laughs> until <laughs> I happen to get in that position where I think it might be effective to challenge him. But I use setup, man. I use setup, and I use communication and vocalizations to the turkey to do to kill all the turkeys I do, and I, and I do a pretty decent job of killing them pretty consistently. So, and it's never with a decoy. I never carry a decoy. So, not 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 again. Not not bashing anybody that does it, but I just challenge people to use setup and use woodsmanship and use their vocalization, their calling ability to make that thing happen instead of just him seeing a, a hint. So, that's kind of my let's, experience with deeks. Let's go a little bit more detail on on, on setup and and location, and sure. and you and you and you hit and you hit it. Great, and I'm glad you said it. Go, go just inside that that woods line on on that corner. What are you looking for in in the woods scenario where where the birds are out in that field? How are you going to get that bird? Where what are you looking for to get that bird into the woods so you number one have a shot, but one of the things to to force the bird to go where you want him to go. Well, I mean, you know, I, I preach and preach and preach. And anybody that happens to be listening to this that knows me one iota knows how much I preach better caller. And um, I use the vocalization and the talking to the turkey as my number one means of I'm, – I'm, I'm saying a message to that turkey. I'm, I'm talking to him. I'm not just randomly throwing sound out. I'm not going yelp, 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 cut, 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 yelp, 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 cut, cut, cut. I'm listening to what he's saying. To, I'm, I'm listening to his replies when he answers me. And I'm, I'm again, like we talked about earlier, I'm, I'm capitalizing on what his mood is or trying to peak his mood. From there, I, I, as we spoke of earlier, also I'm looking for a place 
if before I set up, I'm looking for a spot that's really easy for him to come in, but yet it still conceals me or would conceal a hen to the point where he cannot see her until he's in gun range. You use the cover. You use the edge. You, if, he's on the, if he's out in the field and you got him on the edge of the field and you can tell he gobbles, I'll get around a corner from him just inside the wood line to try to suck him in. So if he rounds that corner, Ron, and he hears this hen, but he looks, he can't see the hen because he immediately hears that she's in the wood line, so he has to come a little bit closer to make contact, to make visual contact with that hen that he's hearing. So mm-hmm. I use those two things, talking to him and communicating him with him, and then trying to find an easy way to me, and then a place that actually can, would con- technically conceal the hen, so he has to take a little bit, he has to get closer to take a look at this sexy girl that he's hearing. So it's, it's that simple for me. I mean, it works, it works year in, year out. You um, do you have any any preference on high grass in a field versus a good old uh, hay field or or cut cornfield? Well, I don't. I mean, I mean, cut corn unless I'm traveling. I don't. I mean, even in the southern, even in, I hunt Georgia, South Carolina. I think I'm going to West Virginia this year. We're going to be hunting big hardwood ridges. And there's not. I don't think there's any crop fields. Um, I'm going to end up probably in New York at some point in May. Um, not really any cut cornfields there. So I mean, I don't. I don't prefer. You, you know, you just kind of give where, you, where you get what you get. I mean, whether he's located in a field or whether he's located in a in a hay field or or a clean, improved pasture or whatever. I mean, I don't. It just happens to be wherever I strike him and get him working is where I end up then assessing what I need to do to suck him in a gun range. So I mean, there's not there's not really a preference. Okay, here's the age old question: Water. You got a 30 foot wide stream that's six inches deep. He's on the other side. What are you going to do? You're going to cross that stream. You're going to try to get him across. What are you oh, going to I do? just call him and he flies across every time. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm kidding. I mean, I, obviously, I've killed him. I've actually, and in that situation, I've actually got right to the edge of a stream and sucked him to the edge of the creek on the other side and popped him across the creek. Um, if I if I can cross the creek, that's the best answer. Obviously, get on the same side as him as the creek. Um, and the best of all is ultimately trying to identify there is a creek before you start trying to call him. But that doesn't always happen because many, many times every year I get dumped out on properties I've never even seen before. And I don't have the ability to scout, which will probably be something else that we can run into here in a minute is scouting, yeah. we, you know, scouting. Mm-hmm. But I, get, I very, very rarely get the opportunity to hunt the properties over and over again like some folks have the luxury of doing and knowing where all the terrain features are. But, but simply use Google Maps. Yeah, I've literally hunted many, many places and been on my Google Earth and been looking at a bird gobbling and figuring out if there's an obstacle between him and I, whether it's a fence or a ditch or a holler or a creek or a pond or a cypress head or whatever. And Google Earth is a great, great tool to help you make a setup or make a move on a turkey. But um, but as you said earlier, water, I mean, obviously getting across the water, getting on the same side of him, is the is the number one deal, and the other one is just trying to identify there's one there before you even start trying to call him. Okay, and then I've actually had them, I have actually had them fly a creek before. I'm not saying that's out of the norm, but but that's not that's going to happen one out of twenty times. I don't care how good a caller you are. <laughs> well, I mean, it's just you, you watch the stupid uh, walk across the swamp or the stream. He actually walks through the water, and then you try to call him back, and he hangs up on the other side. You know, that's uh, right. one of those things. Uh, ridges. I know you, you, you you've hunted all over. What's your preference when you're calling turkeys in hilly or mountainous area? You want to be on top, or you want to be on the bottom, or you don't care? Well, I mean, there's always that. There's always that um, um, out of the ordinary factor, if you will, or that that one-off, we'll call it, 
where he will come down a hill. But my, hunting mountains and ridges and, and hollers and hills, um, I'm either trying to be even with him or above him. I mean, that's been said for years and years and years. And outside of a few hunts along the way, that pretty much holds true. If I'm even with him, he he's more, he's very likely to come parallel with me on that same same elevation height. Or if I get above him and suck him up the hill to me, that just seems because I think it's very simple. If a turkey goes uphill and then something goes wrong, he can literally turn and jump and flop two two wing flaps, and he can fly down a ridge or a holler, and he's gone. As opposed, if he's going downhill, it's harder for him to turn around and go uphill because you know, he's got to get airborne and then clear mm-hmm. all kinds of elevations. So, I mean, it, 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 that's an old adage that I really hold true to when I'm hunting any kind of elevation. Even with or above is definitely going to be the right answer for me anyways. Let's, let's get into scouting. What do you, uh, when do you start your scouting? Um, well, uh, again, like, for example, this season I'm starting down in South Florida. Um, we're going to do some scouting the weekend prior to the hunt. Um, I'm going to be guiding two different gentlemen that are trying to complete a Grand Slam, and I'm super excited about it. Um, it's nothing better than sharing someone completing a Grand Slam. That's a very special moment, or a first turkey, or a kid with a first turkey, or a woman with a first turkey, anybody with a first turkey. But but um, but we're going to scout probably uh, not this weekend, but next weekend. And uh, we're literally three weeks away in Florida, dude. We're right there. Um, and... Um, but but I don't often get afforded the opportunity to scout a lot of the places I go. Um, I'm guiding the opening weekend. The second weekend, which will be with the 14th and 15th, is our youth season here in Florida. And I'm taking Jake out, and we got drawn for a great public land hunt. And um, luckily, I've been hunting it for about 12 seasons, so I know it really well. And historically, the birds hold in a few different places that I know we can start and probably hear turkey gobble. So um, scouting sometimes for me is an adoption. If you have the ability to scout, I mean, usually – about, I would say, if the season starts March 15th, I would say February 15th, which is right about now, is a, a month out is a really good time to start to start catching gobbling, to start catching gobblers with hens, starting to see some strutting activity, starting to see them get a little bit froggy. Um, uh, three to four weeks out is a great time frame to start getting in the woods and get ready to start patterning them because they're on the they're on the in some places now not in the dead of winter up north right now that's got snow on the ground. Obviously, they're not even close to breaking up. But uh, no. in, the, in the southeast right now, believe it or not, even with the cool temperatures, they're getting ready to start doing their thing. Um, so if your season starts April 15th, I would say March 15th would be a great time to start getting out there and start watching, you know, nature unfold, if you will. So when you uh, when you go scouting, what's your favorite time? You want to scout in the morning? You want to scout midday just for sign, or do you want to scout at night? Um, well, you mean the evening, actually? <laughs> I'm, yeah. I, I'm, I'm, yeah. Right. Uh, and I'm, t- I'm talking about pre-scouting. I'm, I'm talking about scouting that month ahead of time, not not right. the day before the season, but right, I'm talking right, about the right. month ahead no, of time. I mean, the, always, the morning's always a blast because you're out there with anticipation. you got your owl hooter. You're going to run an owl hooter, maybe a crow call. I love crow calling really early in the morning because if you really listen many, many times, you'll hear crows right before daybreak, just as you will owls get going. And you'll hear owls at 4 in the morning, but... Um, but yeah, I like the, I like the morning time ultimately because it's 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 the start of the day. You know, you're 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 trying to pinpoint roost areas for one, and you're listening for those consistent areas that you might be able to get on a bird on that opening morning when you're ready to hunt. After the fact, I mean, from there you're using visual visual scouting. You're looking for sign. You're looking for strut marks. You're looking for tracks. You're looking for feathers and and droppings underneath trees where they could be a potential roost area. 
you're looking for dust bowls, places they're dusting. Um, and you can as well blow a crow call or a hawk screamer or even owl hoot in the midday. I've done that and had plenty of response from a gobbler. And uh, when I'm out doing, looking for those visuals, I'll blow a locator call a lot. And, um, and then from there, you can also, I mean, I'm not a big fan of roosted is roasted and roasted is roosted and all that mess <laughs> because Osceola's and, and Eastern's not as, not as um, bad as an Osceola, but I've, I've witnessed so many times I've gone into an area with an Osceola and you owl hoot, your brain's out, you crow call, you hawk scream, you peacock, you donkey bray, you air horn. <laughs> you don't hear a bird gobble. They do not gobble. You'll go in that same spot the next morning and hear three different birds gobble. That is just very, very, that's very common for an Osceola. Easterns, I've had more, I've had better luck with getting a bird to gobble on the roost in the evening as an Eastern, and Rios and Miriams even more so. They, they are definitely more vocal as far as roosting a bird. But, I mean, again, I don't want to get afforded the luxury often to do that type of scouting unless I'm on three or four day hunt and I'm, you know, we know where we're going and we're going to try to pinpoint a bird that morning. But um, I don't put a lot of stock in it, honestly. I use I use historical knowledge and I use the knowledge that I've had while I was hunting. I, I scout hunt always, again because I'm always hunting a lot of places I don't I'm not familiar with. I'm looking for those places they could be roosting. I'm looking for potential strut areas. I'm looking for fly-down places that they come down off the roost and potentially will strut. Um, so I will scout while I'm hunting on these three- or four-day hunts that I that I get to do throughout the season. So, yep. Mention, why don't you, since we're talking about the strut zone, that's that's something that seems to be, for especially for a lot of newbies, uh, they don't know, they don't recognize a strut zone. Can you can you describe what a strut zone looks like so, so when you're walking up on it, you can you can understand what you have there? Well, I mean, it's it's really simple. It's just a place that a gobbler goes to display and attract hens. And, and, and you know, it can be a food plot. It can be a pasture. It could be a little circular area 20 foot in diameter in the middle of, hard, of the hardwoods. But it's a place where he goes, where he gobbles, where he attracts hens. And, and it's just that simple. I mean, in Florida, you know, a strut zone is going to be a place where there's it's a pasture, more open area generally. Um, but it but it can differ across the nation. It's just a it's just an area that a gobbler frequents, that he knows holds hens that he tries to attract hens. It's just that simple. That's all. A, that's defining a strut zone. So, is there any is there any telltale sign that you can uh, see to a strut zone? I mean, outside of strut marks, the, it, not really. I mean, in my opinion, unless you've got sand or dirt where they're leaving drag marks, um, or you make visual contact with a bird, you you know you see it all the time. Billy Bob's driving down the road, and that old gobbler's strutting out there every afternoon. Well, that's his strut zone. That's where you're going to kill that turkey if you put the time in on him. But outside and, of and there's, there's drag marks. What, what, are the, what are those drag marks you're talking about? Oh, it's just simply where a gobbler's strutting, and his wings are, and he's, and he's in full strut, and his wingtips, his primary feathers, there's, you know, six to see. I'm counting them on my Miriam right now, <laughs> right here on the wall. <laughs> yeah. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, ten to twelve feathers on their primary wingtips, okay? And when they strut, those you'll see these little lines in the sand, and there's going to be there's going to be these little lines, uh, turkey tracks in the center, and then lines on the outside, and they'll they'll go from a foot apart to two foot apart. I mean, just it varies on the the gobbler structure and how he's built anatomically. They'll be from you know different widths. General rule of thumb: if it's very very narrow, a lot of times that's going to be a Jake. Um, and then right. you'll obviously look at his track in the center, and if you're going to see a smaller gobbler track, you're going to uh, it's pretty good assumption that he's going to be a Jake, but. Um, but again, outside of seeing those drag marks, it's going to be vocalization or, or vocal visualization, seeing him out in a field or something consistent, 
or it's going to be any kind of sign that he can leave on the ground. And and, and maybe feathers every now and again if you see a, a good gathering of feathers or whatnot. But well, how can, how can we tell a, a hen from a Jake from a, a mature tom? Well, by their tracks. Easy rule of thumb is simply it's so obvious. A, a gobbler a gobbler hen our gobbler track will versus a hen track. Excuse me is going to be, if you have them side by side, there's not a shadow of a doubt which one's a gobbler. It's going to be twice the size, literally, of a hen track. Outside of that, you've always got the long middle toe. You know, you take your three, three-and-a-half-inch shell, and that's going to generally be the length of that middle toe. Um, it's just a bigger track in general, again, with that longer center toe, and that's that's the pretty much the dead giveaway for a gobbler versus a hen track. Mm-hmm. Good. Yep. Yep. Pretty basic stuff there. <laughs> Well, we're we're getting we went forty five minutes already. I mean, you and you was worried we was going wasn't going to be able to go anywhere. Um, oh my gosh! Hey, there's a couple guys on here on the phones. If anybody uh, has questions they want to ask, just uh, politely break in. Um, what do you also, got, guys? If, if if you guys that's that's listening to this, you can type a question on. A, a couple guys have typed questions, but everybody's answering their own questions on there. So I don't need to address those things. But. Uh, let me. My mind is. I'm. I'm. I'm just going every direction trying to to figure things out. Any guys on the phone that's got a question they want to ask or a comment they want to make? Nope. Everybody's keeping quiet. I told you, Scott. Guys get on the phone, <laughs> but they don't want to talk. <laughs> no, that's all right. That's cool. Uh, um, I, this is this is Scott. Uh, I have a question. My name's Scott as well. Yes, Scott. Hey, man. Hey, how's it going? Good. How are you? Um, awesome. Currently, I'm I'm outside of Chicago. Uh, Holy cow, Chicago. I was up in Chicago in November. Wow. <laughs> the, con- the concrete jungle, man. I, I take it you're in the outskirts. <laughs> yeah, I'm in the suburbs, but um, I was wondering if uh, if any of you all have any experience with um, southern Illinois hunting um, for turkey, in particular the Shawnee National Forest. No, brother, I can honestly say, I mean, what what are you looking for as as far as geographical and and historical information on where the birds are, or do you mean just on how to hunt an eastern in southern Illinois? What what do you mean exactly? Well, I'm I'm having problems like trying to find. You know, most counties they have you know uh, plat maps. You know, right? Did we lose him? I guess we lost him. Oh, are you there? Yeah, we're here. Okay. Um, yeah, for some reason, Pope County doesn't have uh, their GIS online. So I was just wondering, I know I don't want to pay $200 for, you know, a plat map that's like basically hooks up with a book and stuff. No, um, no. So, so it's kind of difficult. You know, I'm worried about hunting in the spring and don't really know the entry points in, in, as far as in the Shawnee National Forest. And I guess we'll just figure out when we get there. But maybe you can... If you don't really specifically have an answer for that, maybe you could kind of go in with um, what you typically do when you enter new land um, that you're unfamiliar with and where do you start out at and kind of walk me through that. If you are, are you going to be able to scout the land at all, Scott, or are you literally going in blind opening morning? I am going in probably blind maybe the day before uh, opening season. So opening season's April 6th. Right. Uh, on a fun- Monday we're going to plan on driving down there. Um, on maybe Saturday or early Sunday. Right. Um, I mean, just like we talked about, my friend, be out there at daybreak. I mean, pick a spot. Now, Google Earth, I, I mentioned it before. Use Google Earth, man. Um, you can look at, you can look at uh, your, your 
Um, your topographical features, you know, you should be able to, to identify your draws. Do you, you have hills in that type in that part of the country? I don't even know. I've never hunted yeah. southern Illinois. Yeah, it's pretty hilly. Okay. Um, you know, not so, so, good so for key someone on, who's out of shape like me. Right. I would key on the sides on the you know turkeys will sometimes roost in hollers or sometimes roost on on you know on the sides of ridges. I think, and in, in my experience, I've I've had a lot more success with them roosting on the sides of ridges on a little bit of the elevated part of a holler, if you will. But I mean. All you can do at that point is if you've got one or two mornings is get out there, pick a spot that looks turkey. I mean, use your your you have I don't know if you have parking areas and you have to go in on foot. Is it roaded really well or? Yeah, that's what I'm really unfamiliar with. Okay, so yeah, uh, I mean, like, it's, not, it's not really roaded really well, and there's no okay. like designated parking areas. It's kind of well, like okay. going. It, one key point: bring a bicycle. If I could tell you anything that would probably help you to cover ground. I would say cover as much ground, look for as many places that, that would you in your mind would hold turkeys and look for any areas that will hold, that will give away signs such as softer, muddier areas or sandy areas that will actually show tracks. Um, outside of that, it's a shot in the dark. I mean, you've you're, you got this vast expanse of woods. Um, I don't know what food sources you're going to have up there uh, for the springtime, what kind, of, what kind of mass crop you have that time of the year up in Chicago, what do you have going on? Do you, is there acorns up there? I mean, what what kind of mass do you have on the ground? Is, there? is he there? For corn, yeah, too early for a corn crop and stuff. Too early? Yeah. Well, you know, unless there's leftover waste corn and stuff like that. But so there is going to be crop fields even on this management land, though? Uh, no, no, like that. Oh, but I'm okay. talking about surrounding areas, farms, and stuff right, like that. Right, it's right, very well, integrated with, you know, people's property, and that's what I'm kind of scared about, you know, dealing with, you know, walking in and, and stuff. Yeah. yeah. The biggest thing I can tell you, my friend, is to cover as much ground as possible. Look for the places that you can see sign. Uh, get a bicycle. Take a mountain bike in there with you. Um, if if it's not, I'm, I'm wondering if there's bike trails or if there's roads, but yet you can't drive the roads. The bicycle can help you cover a lot of ground. And, again, That's be it. there at daybreak. Listen for them to gobble, man. And then from there, look for sign and use your leisure locators. And I'm not a big advocate of calling a turkey with a turkey call. I'm not saying it hurts anything to cut and yelp. You hear one gobble, move along. Obviously, just don't don't you don't want to set up and call the bird in. I mean, that's kind of that's the age-old um, adage that, you know, you don't want to pre-call a turkey because what if you bump him? What if he comes in, does see a hen? Is he more apt to not be coming again? You know, it's it's very debatable, but if you can if you can cut a little bit and yelp to get one to gobble and he gobbles, just move on down and find another one. Put a spot on that map, mark, drop a tack, drop a pin on your Google Earth that you heard a bird gobble there, and then go back the next morning when it opens up and, and look. hopefully you'll hear three or four different birds pinpointed. You'll have them pinpointed and you'll be able to go in after them. Best I can tell you, buddy. That's interesting. A bike. I got. I'm. I'm, I'm going to have to take a bike down there because that's there an interesting point. You can cover a lot more ground with some of these uh, walking trails. And exactly. And yep. Stuff like that. So thanks for that. Appreciate yes, it. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You know, Scott, you hit you hit a nail on the head there, and 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 again, many a many a brawls have been started on that on on uh, calling and 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 again, I'm I'm you and I both agree 100 percent with this one. But um, what is, I mean, go into detail on that, because you're not going to stop that new guy from calling. I mean, the the new guy getting out there, his his heart is thumping. 
He wants to call Bird in the worst way. He wants to hear him gobble. <laughs> he yeah, he wants to hear him gobble. Hear you know? him gobble. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 they're going to do that. You know, I, I don't like don't call from a truck. Uh, oh gosh. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, undoubtedly, turkeys, in my opinion, and guys do it. They hear they hear the gravel grinding on the tires. Then they hear the engine shut off. Then they hear a hen yelp, and then they hear nothing. And then the truck starts up and drives off. I mean. People can say what they want, and I mean, a turkey's not near as smart as we give them credit for. They're just no. they have a heck of a set of instincts, and they have a they have a heck of a set of eyes and ears. But they are they do have the ability, in my opinion, to to rationalize that that's not right, and they catch on to that crap, and they catch on to the fact that there's human contact many times after they hear a hen yelping and cutting, and then they hear a vehicle and tires you know gravel grinding on tires. So. I agree a thousand percent. Don't drive around and call out of your truck. I mean, that's the worst thing you can do. Worst thing you can do. Do you believe they can get call shy? Absolutely. I mean, a lot of people debate that whole thing. I've hunted public land my whole life, and I have watched and witnessed turkeys with my best yelping and prettiest clucking and not even getting over aggressive and just being as real as I can be. Literally, birds gobble, go the other way. Birds shut up. Birds hear it and leave literally have pushed birds to other guys by calling to them because they did not come into the calling. So people can say that they want all turkeys on call shot, but you come to Central Florida or any place that's hunted and pressured and they hear hen sounds that end up inevitably in human contact, they start figuring it out that every sound they hear that is a hen in the woods is not a hen. I don't care how smart they are or aren't. In my opinion, they can rationalize that it's not a turkey every time, and that's why... That's why public land where I hunt around this part of Florida and then anywhere I go where I actually am hunting state lands is, is, is can be very, very difficult. Just that. That's why I go back to preaching about becoming as, as the most realistic as you possibly can be on your calls and creating sounds and sequences that those birds don't normally hear and they don't hear the realism. I believe in my heart there you can convince a turkey with better cadence, better rhythm, better tone, better better sequencing and talking to him, that you can convince him that you are actually a hen and not Billy Bob out there going, yuck, 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 putt, putt, yuck, 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 putt, putt, yuck, yuck. You're doing the same thing over and over again. So that, that's that's my take on, you know, call shot turkeys, pressured turkeys, and human contact with vocalizations, hearing turkey vocalizations. So Well, I, I, I told you about that biggest bird I had ever killed in my life. It was at the end of the season after our five-week season, and, and how I had to, I just switched over to mush, you know, e- turkey ebonics. Now I said the words right, but it was ebonics. Right. And that bird came in where he where he, where he first coming in, he stuck his head up over the log and dropped his head and backed on out to where he started from. Right. And by, by but again, and the key was the words was correct. What did you say just, to him? Let me let me ask the interviewer questions. What what did you no, say to him that worked? A, what worked? Come here, baby. I got you. <laughs> no, I know. Uh, what were you clucking? In all honesty, I, 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 I was instead of going into the hard clucks and 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 the and the Aggressive. and all that, I, I went out to I went out to hard mush yelps, and I was excited, uh, frantic yelps. You know, like that hen gets when she's like you said earlier, that that hen gets pulled out of the uh, the uh, the flock. She gets she gets uh, a little bit bewildered. She don't know where they're at, and we've all heard it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, and and I just went to a mushed out, um, no, no, no. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? No um, crisp, right. clean sound. It was, it was a mush. You know, it was, it was broke up. It was, it was, it was an oh, old yeah, call. Yeah, yeah. 
You know, yep. And random and, organization you know, is what I call it, and 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 it's honestly sometimes the less repetitious. And I talk about this a lot. What what I'm gathering you're saying is instead of going yop 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 yop, you're going yeah, you're breaking it higher pitch. Yep, get get a little bit higher pitched at the end. You know, if you went with a three yelp series. You know, you know, right. But, right. but again, there was no, like, even with our voice, you notice we're getting that hard, crisp stop. Right. Um, with that, with that, you take an old mouth call that's just blown out, mm-hmm. okay, and you're sitting in your truck when you're practicing and you're listening to the mouth call and you're saying, oh my God, it's terrible. That's exactly the call I used on this bird. Oh, and, yeah. and, and, and again, what what brought me to that mindset was I remember oh quite a few years ago I heard this ungodful yelp coming through the woods and I'm thinking what the friggin' heck is this is this a hunter what is guy? it yeah and and I'm yelping back and it's yelping back at me and and here this old this this old Tom come up over the hill and he's doing that I mean his yelp was worse than his a, a normal gobbler's yelp and and. We've all heard the gobbler yelp, and they're, they're not deep, awful. Low, very slow cadence. Yep, yep. Yeah, but this guy's voice was even worse. And and again, uh, in in duck hunting, I, I I get a lot. We have a lot of black ducks up here, and I, and yep. I hate to say ducks with with turkeys, but the black duck speaks in ebonics to the duck world. He can't he can't keep a cadence to save his life most of the time. It sounds like you know he'll right. where. So that was the same philosophy I was using on this on this bird because I knew this bird had been hunted hard all season long by some of the best callers around. Right. And he had been almost killed by some of the best callers in the world or in, in this part of the, the, the state here. Mm-hmm. So we just went to that mush out. So well, right. about me. let's get back to you. Um, when you when you're here, one of the questions that was asked, and I can't forget this one. I got I got to go back up on this. Uh, fine. It was a good question. Here we go. Uh, you speaking yourself, okay? What do you think one of the, the one of the biggest reasons is that you've killed more gobblers than than another? What is the biggest reason that that you've killed a gobbler over another gobbler? What the is biggest it reason done? I've killed a gobbler over another gobbler? Let me. Try, I'm, I'm trying to find it. I'm trying to see how he worded this thing. Somebody help me here, guys. I told you to remind me, and you didn't do it. Uh, or do you mean over the next for your, guy? Here it is. Here it is. Speaking for yourself, what one factor has led you to harvest more gobblers than any other? What's that uh, one factor? What well, one factor to me yeah. has led more gobblers? Uh, two, two, two key points: setup and realistic calling. Bam. Well, he's asking for one. Um, they go hand in hand. I mean, they go hand in hand. Yeah, they go hand in hand. I, I, I okay. Let me. I'm just going to go out on a limb and say this because not every setup is perfect, and yet I've still caught realistic talk, turkey talk, and being able to communicate with that gobbler and talk to that gobbler in hen language, not in hen noise. Ser- seriously, I mean, I, <laughs> I can't tell you how many turkeys that I've killed that were in places that were been hunted and they've been pressured. It's it's truly the ability to convince that gobbler that you are real and that you are not a hunter. And one of the things you touched on with your story back there is is the repetition is what kills ninety percent of any. 
And right. I don't mean tonally. It's not all about tone. Tone is a huge factor when you're really trying to create realism. But more so than anything is repetition in, set, in, in your sequences when you're talking to that gobbler and you're repeating yourself over and over and over and over and over and over and over. Cut, 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 yup, yup, yup. Cut, 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 yup, yup, yup. Cut, cut, cut. That is the most dead giveaway, to my opinion, that a gobbler, they hear that, that's, that constant repetition. I believe in my mind they really equate that with something that's not real. It's, just, it's my personal theory. It's my opinion. So it is what it is. But, but realistic turkey talk and communicating with the turkeys is how I've killed more turkeys than any one factor. I'm telling you, I don't have the ability, like a lot of guys, to scout and pattern turkeys. So I have to go out there and be a turkey and think like a turkey. So when you think like a turkey and you're going in places you've never been and you can talk to a turkey, you will kill more turkeys. It's that simple. Now, if you have a place that's your place and you've got a 1,000 acres and you pattern those birds and you know where they roost and you know where they fly down, yeah, you can kill a turkey like that all day long. For me, I've not had that luxury in 30 years of hunting public land and across the nation and it's just been dumped out in places and it, it, I don't often have the ability to do that and pattern the birds, so I have to use different means outside of those to kill them consistently. So sorry, I got right. long-winded on that one. No, 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 this is good because, uh, you know, I've, I've been wanting to ask this the whole night. I want to ask you this, because since we're talking about it, do you like a higher-pitched uh, call? Do you like a lower-pitched call? Because you're going to hear a lot of guys talk that. Ah, you got to use a low-pitched call. you got to use a high-pitched call. you got to use this in between. What's your preference? I um. I like a higher-end rasp, a higher-end call, period, bar none. Um, it, it's, it's, I've gotten my – I like a younger-sounding hen. I've gotten more, more um, reaction and better reaction from a higher-pitched call than a lower-pitched call. That's my preference. 30 years of hunting, I'm chasing them all over the country. Higher pitch just just does it for me better than, than an old lynch box call that's – you know, an old cedar box call that's – Sounds like almost like a Jake or Gobbler yelp because it's so deep in pitch. So that that's that's the easy answer for me. I like higher pitch. Yep. You you, you like them clear? Or do you like them snot? Uh, like them what? You snotty or do you like them clear and clear and crisp? I, no, I like raspy. I mean, I like right. I like a nasal, throaty tone. That's my right. that's. I mean, I don't like flat dead rasps, which a lot of mouth calls get, which I could go into. Mount, we could go into mouth call cuts and designs and what I run and whatnot if you want to get into that as well. But I, I, um, I build a lot of mouth calls for myself. I build them for friends. I build them for Woodhaven for, for the call. The three, I have three different designs that are mine with Woodhaven. And it's a lighter latex. It's a little tighter stretched, but yet it's still easy to control. You can, it's got backbone, but it has a throaty nasal rasp. And if you listen to any hen, about 95% of any hen you listen to, it has a throaty nasal quality, and it's not that scratchy, screechy rasp. Most 95% of guys that run a mouth call put too much tongue pressure, and they blow too hard, and they get that screeching sound that is not natural to a hen's real voice. So, mm-hmm. yep, I like throaty and nasal. That's my two favorite words to describe hen, hen voices. Yep. Okay. Now you was talking about cuts. You you do you, you got you got a a straight edge or or a yelper style call versus a it may be a split V or, or some of the other um, cuts. What's uh, your what's your favorite cut? Well, my my go-to cut is a split V uh, with both tips of the wings of the, on the right and the left side clipped off. It's just like my Scott Ellis signature with Woodhaven. Um, and then I have two other designs called a Red Reactor and a Yellow Venom, and they're both actually very unique. I don't think there's anybody out there in the industry that's, that has one like it. Um, again, the Yellow Venom um, creates a very easy front-end yelp. You know, they, it's very easy to get the clear front note of a Yelp, 
and it's easy to drop off in the rasp on the back end. It clucks and purrs. You can whine on it. It's, it's All three designs that I've worked and played with for years before we released them were calls that were very, very easy to create all types. They're versatile. You can get into some styles of mouth calls that are tighter, thicker reeded, and you can cut like a banshee on them. You can cut and you can yelp real nasty and raspy, but it's really hard to tone it down. And mm-hmm. I like that middle-of-the-road call that has all versatilities where I can cluck and purr. I can get – it has the backbone to cut and cackle if you're doing a fly-down, if you're cutting sequences or whatever. But, yeah, you can bubble cluck on it just the same when you're if you're imitating some clucking and purring and you're trying to do those soft clucks. You can bubble cluck on it. So that I like the versatility in a mouth call. And, and again, it would be hard to explain – the uh, the yellow venom is almost like an off-center bat wing kind of looking thing, and then the the uh, red reactor is an offset V with a notch on one side. It's very very unique. You'd have to check them out. Red reactor, yellow venom, and then the Scott Ellis signature with Woodhaven. I mean, I'm doing a little plug in there, but that's that's my three designs, and they, I run those calls all season long. You're going to do I a lot of plug in here at the end of the show. Uh, got a question for you. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, talking about cuts. Uh, different mouth calls. How long did it take you really to find a mouth call that fits your style and stuff like that? There's so many mouth calls on the market nowadays, so many different cuts. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I can't afford to buy them all and try them all. But So how do you try to pick one? That Oh, my gosh. I mean, it just depends on what level, honestly, that you want to take your calling to. You can, you can, you can take a call – I've got two mouth call instructional DVDs out. I don't. They're called Mouth Call Magic One and Two, and between the two, it teaches you on four different styles of mouth calls, three different types of hen yelps. So there's a way to create realism with any kind of call you pick. But a lot of it goes back to technique and how you're delivering air to the call and in tongue pressure. Um, how do you pick one? Um, I would say to pick any of the three that I just talked about. <laughs> I mean, I'm kidding. I mean, I, I designed those calls for – it really covers the gamut. I mean, I, I, there's not a good way of – without spending thousands of dollars, I, you know, it, the only other thing I know to tell you to do is start building your own mouth calls. You could probably buy a jig from Thad Bright at Feather Ridge Presses and start building for 250 bucks. I think they cost. you got to figure, that's 20 mouth calls at today's prices, $10, $10 $15 a pop. So you buy a jig and spend another $50 on materials, and you can make 200 mouth calls. And then you can start experimenting. I mean, it, it's really hard to assess without hearing you call and knowing what you call on. It's really hard to tell you what would be the best choice. But the only thing I can tell you at this with this question would be to look at something like a cutter-style call or my yellow venom-style call, anything with more exposed latex, on the on, which means like you know what a cutter call is right on the right side it's notched out, or a bat wing call, it's got both sides notched out with a point in the middle. Those calls are going to be easier to get the rollover, the the, the two note yelp, the high in the front, but it will still offer you a little bit of backbone and they should be able to cluck and purr on it. As as against a, a ghost cut, great call, whistles good, can cluck and purr okay, yelps okay, very hard to get aggressive on. It's a it's a lot harder call to cut real hard on and get aggressive with. So. Um, outside of building your own calls, and, and instead of spending the hundreds of dollars on mouth calls, buy a jig, start building your own calls. I mean, that that's fu- sounds funny coming from a guy that has three calls with a company, but I'm just saying, if you're really willing to go that extra mile to find that that right fit, sometimes making them is better than anything. Outside of that, go into something with the exposed latex, a bat wing, a cutter style call, 
or a split V like my signature with the, the wingtips clipped off that has that second read exposed a little bit more is going to allow you to be more versatile and not be just a pure nasty rasp, if, if, if you will. Man, now, now, you guys don't listen to Scott on that. Don't don't build any calls. Buy them, buy them, buy them. Oh, okay? I didn't see that. Just keep being honest. That's how I roll, man. <laughs> I mean, seriously. So. No, I'm I'm, we're, I'm I'm playing with you. You know, as a call maker, and, and we're both call makers, and that's 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 the key there. You, there's no I, one. I'm not pulling any punches, honestly. I'm just being honest. Yeah, yeah. No, and 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 I appreciate that because it's it's what he said was so true. There are so many. Uh, there's so many variables and mouth designs and, you know, from inside the, the guy's mouth. And some guys put the call too far back and some guys put the, you know, the gag, like everybody says they gag. And so we'll quit trying to swallow the stupid call. Right. Um, and then some people just gag. And I mean, I'm not trying to sell a DVD, but honest to goodness, if you don't want to go buy my DVD, go to YouTube and search Scott Ellis on YouTube. And I've got several clips. I mean, I got 20 or 30 videos on clucking and purring and whining and cutting and yelping. And I've got tons of videos on there, and it don't cost a dime. And just go in and watch what I'm doing. And most of that stuff, I'm, that work I'm doing on there, on those videos, is a split V, if that helps you at all. But thanks for the question. Any other thanks questions the out there? Is there any other questions you guys have? Uh, either to – I see somebody put out cracked corn, Joe. No, we don't want to use cracked corn. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, funny guy. <laughs> Uh, what you know, and, and maybe we need to uh, talk a little bit. I know we didn't want to touch this, but I'm, I'm thinking about this. Let's just talk a little bit about the the new fad. That, and I'm not for this fad, but again, I'm not against it where it's legal. Um, you know, those decoys where you you walk up or crawl up behind uh, Scott. You, uh, what's your what's your thoughts on those? Ah, uh, well, I. <laughs> I'll just stick to doing what I've done and killed the crap out of turkeys for 30 years with. Um, and that's the art of calling a wild turkey. Now, do I bash or fault people for wanting to try that technique? Absolutely not. Y'all go for it. Have fun with it. If it's if that's what it takes to kill one, kill him. If, as long as it's legal, which is not in your state apparently, Ron, but if no, it's no, legal, no. And, and for me it's a safety hazard because <laughs> you're just going to, you're really bucking the odds of walking up behind, you know, with a decoy in your hand, and, and the wrong guy's going to do it in the wrong place where he's in cover or something trying to do that crap, he's going to get shot right in the face. Um, well, and, and that's gonna, why I'm bringing it up. It's going to happen. I'm, um, I'm not faulting anybody for doing it. If that's your cup of tea, then roll with it. Because as long as a guy's out there hunting and it's legal, then, then, then we need to be supportive of it. So I'm not going to bash people for their own methods of what they do and how they harvest turkeys. But I'm just kind of from the old school. I like talking to them. That's what obsessed me with turkeys 30 years ago was communicating with them, and that's what I'll roll with. But whatever floats your boat, I'm just not I, – I, I can't say I advocate it. That's all I can tell you. <laughs> and, and, again, I just want to bring up as on the show, you know, use your common sense here. Just like, you know, will will a gobble work on a, bringing in a, a gobbler? Yep, Absolutely. it will. And also it actually might send some shot your way too. Um, Depends you know, on the so, scenario. Depends on where you're hunting. Do you know that you know? Do you know without a shadow of a doubt that you're hunting a place that there is not somebody there that would mistake you for turkey? And that's yeah, a scary exactly. proposition, because even on the most private land, you could have a poacher out there stuff around. So now, have I gobbled in turkeys and killed them? Absolutely. I'm just saying, be very, very safe out there, guys. I mean, always try to weigh in all the options and all the uh, odds before you start doing something that could could uh, jeopardize your life. I guess. Um, and, you know, it's just a call you have to make. Weigh, weigh the safety options before you do it. That's what it boils down to. Definitely don't gobble and have white on you, okay? Don't do not do that. <laughs> yeah, red, white, and blue. <laughs> right, right, right. 
And and the same thing with the, the new decoys in New Jersey. For the New Jersey guys that's going to be listening, you cannot stalk turkeys. We cannot call moving, and you and you can't crawl. You know, so you you can't stalk and get behind that decoy and and, st- and walking up to the birds, knowing that there's birds there. Legally, you can't do that. So right, use right. your common sense. Um, Just follow the game watch. laws. I mean, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yep. Any <laughs> other questions out there? Yeah. So. How do you gobble? Do you gobble on a mouth call? Uh, I gobble. I can do all three. I mean, I can gobble with a natural voice. I can gobble on a tube call, or I can gobble with a mouth call. Um, I do not compete with a mouth call gobbling. I have competed gobbling with and won a bunch with my voice. But um, tube call is probably going to be the easiest for me to teach somebody. You just if you're a duck hunter and you say tuka 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 like a feed chuckle or a feed chatter tuka 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 tuka. You literally just put the call to your lips, you know, like you're about to create a yelp, and you go ticka 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 ticka. So, um, and there, you know, there's gobble shakers out there that create a good enough gobble to fool a tom. Don't get me wrong. There's gobble shakers. There's there's these uh, these new style calls that I think Night and Hail has one out there that's uh, called the Thunder Fire or something. It's it's like a short read of goose calls, all it is, and you do a feed chuckle on it and you gobble on it that way. So, I mean, for me to gobble, I just simply um, use my throat and um i don't know if you want to give a lesson on how to gobble but i just simply go <laughs> i just use my voice to actually gobble and and i have more of a miriam style gobble because i don't have a lot of rasp in it but trust me it works on osceola's and eastern and everything else if if i have to do it but um but yeah th- you know get, look at a gobble tube get look at a tube call i've got a uh i think i've got a i think i'm gobbling on it on youtube i've got a two of a video up of gobbling on a tube call but YouTube is a great tool, so check it out. There's probably something for everyone on any kind of call you ever want to learn how to do is on YouTube. Some better than others, but there are, there's probably something for everyone there. Yeah, the tube calls kind of have a more of like a sucking and blowing kind of thing. Um, you know, you really yeah, well, I mean, you're just you're actually just exhaling. If you're doing it the right way, you're just. You're, I thought I had a tube call here with a read on. I was going to do it for you, but I don't see a read on any of the ones on my um, thing hanger. You're just literally saying tuka tuka tuka. Here we go. Let's see if I can do this for you. Hold on a minute. You literally put the tube call up in your mouth. See, I'll do some cutting you up and let's get let's do some vocalization. Okay, there's just that's just a basic yelping. You're just gonna say you just say tuka tuka tuka. And that's a little bit high pitched, but that's that's all it is. You're tuka Simply saying tuka 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 until you're running out into a gobble. It's that simple. You don't suck mm-hmm. in. I wouldn't suck in at all. It's all exhaling. Okay. Yeah. If I do any gobbles, I try to do it on a box call where you can kind of get both sides there. Oh yeah, yeah, it. yeah. The old Lynch does it good. There's several box calls out there that are that will gobble very, very well. Absolutely. Uh, Scott, take that old tube call and and do some demos with uh, do a cluck, do a cluck purr. Um, do a couple of yelps uh, so the guys can hear some of the sounds on on a tube call because they're used to hearing it on a diaphragm, they're used to hearing it on a on a pot call, they're used to hearing it on a box call. Very few guys hear it on a on a tube. A tube call, okay. Let's see. So 
tell you, it's a very versatile little call. It does all kinds of stuff. Good. Great. Any other questions? I mean, we're, we covered a lot of ground. Uh, yeah. we're, we're, look, we're going on an hour and 15 minutes. I can go two hours, but we're going to, we're going to start because I, I want you to really push uh, some of this stuff on, on your, your videos and, and the other stuff. But is there, before we get into that, is there any other questions? There's got to be some questions out there. Um, guys have nothing. Well, told you I got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight people on the phone and only two guys on the talk. talk. <laughs> They're all shy. They're on the radio. Being, they don't want their voice to listen to on the radio. Come on, guys. Speak your mind. Speak your mind. Got to so, be something. Uh, got, uh, got another question for you. I, I know I'm probably asking all the questions, but I'm curious. Um, is all ever being kind of a somewhat new hunter? Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm like, you know, you said you know you live in Florida. Obviously, are you hunting mostly Osceolas, or are you kind of you work? No, no. Do? Well, I mean, I was I, I started hunting. I'm born and raised in Florida. Started hunting Osceolas in like I said, '86, I think '87, and then from there. I joined the Army in 92, I'll tell you from, from that year, 86, 87 to 92, joined the Army and then went to Texas and Korea and then came back to South Carolina in 95. And then I started hunting Easterns in South Carolina. And then from 95, the last 20 years, I've hunted Easterns, Osceolas, Rios, and Miriams. So um, I've killed a pile of Osceolas and Easterns, and I've killed three Grand Slams, so I've killed three Rios and three Miriams. So and called in numerous others for that matter. But um, so what, what were you getting at? What what would, what subspecies are you curious about? Well, I mostly hunt the Easterns um, okay. being from Illinois. Um, right. But I was just curious, you know, to look at your depth and stuff, and I wanted to ask you, you know, a follow-up question with that is, you know, what was it like hunting back in the 80s and 90s versus now? Uh, what have you uh, seen that's really changed? What has changed? The, the the biggest thing I think has changed is the number of hunters has grown and grown and grown Amen. and grown and grown. Yeah, I mean, um, and I will say this, um, and I think in my there's a group I created on Facebook called Turkey Callers of America. Probably I bet several of the guys are probably listening to it right now that are in the group. And um, somebody brought up the topic a, a while back. Um, is go- have you guys noticed gobbling becoming less and less over the years? And I will say. As a whole, I would definitely agree to that theory that that the birds just gobble a lot less and a lot later in the morning uh, than they used to. I remember as a kid when I started hunting turkeys, they would birds would gobble in dead dark at 5:30, and they would gobble an hour and a half before daylight. Now you're lucky. I mean, daybreak and 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 20 or 30 minutes after daybreak is very very common until you hear that first gobble. So I would say, and I and I think that's two reasons. I think this number of hunters, and I, and I think my other theory, and a lot of people co- commented on this, was just predators. I really believe that coyotes have have placed, placed or have, have uh, wrecked havoc on turkeys. Now, I don't think they're hurting the bird population. I think they're harassing the turkeys to the point that they know that every time they open their mouth with any consistency or any frequency, they're getting chased around by coyotes and bobcats, for that matter. So. That's probably the two biggest factors I've noticed in in over the last thirty years and in, in changing in how the birds react, yep, and how vocal they are. I've noticed something else too. The 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 older your population gets, at least here in Jersey, the the more more mature birds that we have, the less they talk. Where the the jakes right. or those uh, two year olds are still mm-hmm. gobbling their heads off. 
But if you have 15 toms out there in that field, you, you, you're noticing two birds really cutting loose. You know, they'd be the jakes or the, or the two-year-olds. But those old mature birds, they're, they're still going in the strut. Right, you know right. when you make this, but but they're but they're not talking off and 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 I'm and I'm, I'm I have to wonder if the older the bird gets, the more used to the more he gets used to the hen coming to him. True right. nature, Makes to where sense. yeah he 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 sent you know he he's there he hears a hen he cuts loose gobble gobble and she cucks back and he just says come on out here and and again that's another reason I think Scott you you already touched on it that's why you see that old Tom on a on a decoy. He sees a decoy on the edge of the field, and he hangs up 30, 40, 50 yards out in that field, and he's saying, you're coming to me, hon. And right. um, where the I, I know the younger birds, when you get a, an area, like in our, like I said, in our horse pasture, you know, when those young jakes are coming in, the five or six jakes, they'll come in that little band or ten jakes or whatever, they're talking up a storm, but the okay. big old birds are keeping quiet. So I, I do agree with the coyotes, you know, but I think it's the older they get, too. I'm, I'm starting to wonder if the older they get, they just, like you and me, you get up around 50 years old and you start saying, I ain't talking so much. Yeah, <laughs> you just revert back to what what you know is to be nature, I think. I mean, it's almost like accelerated evolution, if you will. I mean, like you said, as they get older, I think they know areas that the hens are frequenting and they just get, they hang out there and they gather those hens there because they are they are they know where those birds are. Those hens are going to be lingering and they display and they do their thing and they don't have to worry about gobbling as much. And the hen population, and, and another factor here, that now that we're, we're theorizing here, I think is just the number of hens is, just, is exponentially higher than it used to be. So they don't yes. have to go very far or, or do very much to attract hens. So I think that's another key factor. Hens are just, there's just, just a numerous amounts of hens. It's amazing. What's your favorite turkey to hunt? Oh, what is my favorite turkey to hunt? You know, I think it's probably probably Miriam's. It's got to be my the funnest bird to hunt. They're just just and, and there's different there's different opinions on Miriam's. People have had experiences with Miriam's where they could kill them with a wiffle ball bat. They say I have not had that experience. I, I mean, they work to a call very well sometimes, but the key factor that's fun about a Miriam's is they is they gobble and gobble and they gobble some more. <laughs> and they'll gobble on their own more frequently than any other subspecies. Rios are a close second. Rios are a close second. Um, but just they gobble just to gobble, and that just makes it even funner because that's what why are we all out there. I mean, yeah, we want to kill a turkey, but we love to hear the gobble. That's what everybody gets inflicted with is hearing that gobble. And that's why, to me, Miriams are just a blast, probably the funnest bird to hunt. Yeah, it's probably one of the things, you know, when guys talking about sitting in a blind again, i got nothing against a blind, especially when it's raining. Right. But – you know, my my heart just gets pounding. You you do that old locate call, and you know, and he just cuts loose on you, tr- uh, double gobble you, and your heart's coming up through your chin. You know, and you're just thinking, oh my god, it's any any minute, any minute now. I just it's just that's what we're here. We're there for right. the gobble. That's all. It's all about the gobble. That's what that's what obsesses everybody. I think so. Yeah. Speaking of gobbles, um, what do you guys think about? Locator calls. Does it sound like the owl call is kind of just getting overworked and not that many responses? And, and you know, if you do use locator calls, what do you, which ones do you prefer? Well, I mean, I think one of the keys to a good owl hooter, and I hoot with, I carry one of my hoot tubes that I actually compete with a style like I compete with, and then I also use my natural voice. And um, 
I think volume is very, very critical in a good owl hooter. Um, I've had times, I can think of numerous times over the last 20 years where I've ran a hoot tube and got nothing, and then I let loose with a good loud, as loud as I can eight-note hoot or, or get the locate hoot, a single-note hoot with my voice, which is probably 20 decibels, 30 decibels louder than a, than a hoot tube, and have a bird respond. So I think the owl call is a great call, but I think one thing that the newer hooters, the newer restyle hooters lack is volume, and I think that's something that helps. Um, outside of that, I love to blow a crow call. Um, at daybreak even, um, middle of the day, obviously, on in the afternoon, a crow call. But one key thing that I do when I crow call is not the typical call, call, call. You know, I, I have a YouTube video up on it. It's on Mouth Call Magic 2, my, my, my newest DVD. And that's just getting aggressive and running a sequence for longer than that three or four seconds. I mean getting 10 seconds, 12 seconds of aggressive crow calling and just aggravate a bird into gobbling. Now, that bird may or may not gobble again but at least you knew he was there so and then from there i mean a hawk screamer works for a time or two um and then you know the old i think the pileated woodpecker works very well from time to time um i even will carry a duck call laugh if you will you get on a hail call or even a goose call if you can run a goose call there you I've go my friend. great responses <laughs> out of goose calls coyote howlers out west it worked yep, very yep, well yep. Um, anything anything as loud as you can, shrill as you can make it, I think, is what you're going to get the best response out of. So, Hey, I've even been exasperated on, on summer mornings and just give out a good old rebel, rebel yell as loud as high as pitch as I could get it. And <laughs> that's, a, that's, sound a, off, that's a Bigfoot call. We call that a Bigfoot call. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Any any type of loud, shrill, you know, air horn, whatever, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we're doing yeah, I, good. Hey, you know what? We're, we're running on an hour and a half here. I, I want you to plug some of your stuff again, and, and I know you're talking about you got two great videos out there from what I'm hearing. I haven't seen them yet. I want to get a couple of them. Uh, I'm probably going to get both of them. But, you know, uh, it's it's uh, one and two, you said it, it is? Mouth call, mouth call Magic and Mouth Call Magic 2, and you can order those on my website on scottellishunting.com. And the first DVD covers all of Turkey Talk. And in that in that DVD, I'm I'm actually using a split V to cover all that style of turkey caulk. But you can still create the same techniques that I'm using in that DVD on any type of mouth call. It, and it's and it's all about air delivery more so than chirp 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 or chonk 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 like you've read and and seen on the older style videos. I'm teaching a, a newer, not necessarily newer, but a different style or different technique of how to deliver delivering the air to the call. And using less tongue pressure is how you let the rasp become more realistic, more nasal, more tonal, um, more nasally, if you will, in, in quality. And um, the second DVD, Malcolm Magic 2, I'm actually going over the bat wing, the ghost cut, the combo cut, and the split V. And I'm also discussing three different types of hen yelps. And those three different types, there's, there's, you hear hens, and then you hear numerous voices of hens, but you can categorize almost every one of those hens into either a front-end hen, which a front-end hen yelp is the hen that drags that front, and she has almost no back end. And then you go into a transition-style yelp. A transition yelp is when a hen starts with a little sweet front, and then she starts yelping, and she jumps into rasp. And it's just a more raspy type. And that's what I use on the stage, actually, and what I use in the woods is a transition-style yelp. And the other is a rollover-style yelp, and that's the more traditional double note that's just rolling over real hard. And I teach those three styles of hen yelping 
on four, on those four different calls that I mentioned earlier. From there, I go into talking about clucking and purring, kiki running, um, fly down cackle, cut, cutting, and um, I think that's it. I might think that's it. That's the, the five the five main calls that you're going to do. Uh, tree calling. Tree calling is the fifth one. Sorry. And I teach how to do the, all of those calls in Mouthcall Magic 2 on the four different types of calls. Then I go into a locator segment with owl hooting and crow calling. And I actually did an awesome turkey hunting song called Waiting on Tom uh, two years ago with a good buddy of mine, Tony Young. And uh, it's a great song that Tony wrote about turkey hunting. And um, I do some calling on it. I do a little singing on it. I do a little picking and singing myself, and I do some singing <laughs> on it. And then lastly, it has actually a Grand Slam hunt on it, and I'm going to Nebraska for Miriams, Texas for Rios, South Carolina for Easterns, and, of course, Florida for the Osceola, and that's all I've called Magic 2. So. All right. Now, you're a uh, little bit about, you know, I, I, how I got to know Scott, I don't know him, but I've got to talk to him, is the uh, the, the, the the forum. Um, tell us a little bit about the forum. What's, what's, what got you to create that forum and, and get it going? Well, you know, there, there's – there's a lot of different groups out there, and um, I, I have the pleasure of knowing about everybody in the industry that's a turkey caller or, or that's accomplished turkey callers, and and um, I just thought that I could bring the people that kind of follow along with what I do and um, create a group for people that can just get on there and ask the, the, the most rookie green questions and, and, and find out what choke tube to use and what calls to use and whatnot. And I thought if I created this group, and it's called Turkey Callers of America, it's on Facebook. We've got 5,200 members now, almost 5,300 members now, I think. And it's growing daily by 50, 60, 70, 80 members. And people are just sharing pictures of their harvest. They're sharing their kids. They're showing sound clips and sound files. They're calling. They're asking for critiques. It's just a great place for people to gather and just share the obsession that we all have, and that's hunting the wild turkey. It's a great group. You guys check it out. Turkey Callers of America on Facebook. Just give it. Just just search it in the little search engine up there, and it'll pop right up. I've got one problem with that dog on Facebook page. You know, every time you have a call giveaway, and I put my name <laughs> up there, everybody else jumps in there. Now, guys, listen. When you see my name go up there, oh my Ron God. Jones. Okay, don't yeah, don't, don't post up. Like I'd like to win a call once one of these days. You know. Oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> and we're doing. We're, it's been a little slow, and for the people, the listeners out there that are members, y'all forgive me because Nashville was last week, and we're still recovering from Nashville. So uh, we'll get the call builders or the call giveaways going again. Matter of fact, the next call going up, I believe, is going to be. I'll probably try to get up tomorrow. Is from renowned call maker Dave Constantine, and Dave won. I don't even know how many first place. Uh, trophies at the Callmakers Convention at, in, at the NWTF Convention last week, the Callmakers Competition, excuse me, and Dave won, I think, seven first-place calls uh, or trophies for, with his calls, and uh, I think the next one we're giving away is a Dave Constantine uh, box call. So everybody, you know, just stay tuned. We're going to get the giveaways going again, but it's uh, they're getting the more members, the more the more people that are entering, and we're getting three, four, five, six hundred people trying to win a call, so I'm sorry, Ron. Uh, <laughs> I'm probably going to have to just make you a couple mouth calls to send them to you. <laughs> well, you know, guys, quit it. All right, everybody, just stop. <laughs> yeah, but we do a great giveaway a couple times a week, and uh, and it's just great. It's I love helping folks, and and I love to get people that are trying to get a start in the business and do their thing. Uh, you know, I love giving them that little bit of recognition and getting their name out there a little bit, and that's what it's doing. It's helping the members try to get a chance. It's fun and exciting to try to win a call. And then the guy that's just donating the call and gracious enough to donate one of their $100 calls or whatever, 
is getting a little bit of exposure, and that's why I do what I do for that. So, well, you know, turkey hunting is it, it, for for me anyway. If if turkey hunting came the same time as predator and duck calling, duck hunting, I I would have a bad situation here. I'm trying I to know the feeling, buddy. Do. <laughs> uh, but thank Luckily God it comes in this. Yes. Uh, anything else you want to add tonight, uh, Scott? I mean, it was a great show. I'm, I'm, uh, we could probably go on for a long, long time. But uh, anything else you think is important to, to add or to recap on? Oh, gosh. I mean, you know, just be safe out there, gentlemen and ladies. Just be safe out there. Um, you, you know, do what works for you. Don't Don't worry about what is or isn't correct by somebody else's standards. Just enjoy the sport and enjoy chasing turkeys because that's really what it's all about. It's about it's about getting in the woods and hearing that bird gobble. If you harvest a bird, that's that's almost anticlimactic anymore at this point. My at least in my turkey hunting career, if you will. I mean, it's just about the brotherhood and and it's about being at at daybreak and owl hooting and hearing that bird gobble on the limb and that and that's what it's all about. Um, if I gave one tip that we haven't discussed today, it would probably be the one thing I preach more than anything and we were talking and touching on this earlier, is don't overcall the turkey. Work the turkey. Let the turkey work. Less is generally going to be more when you're working a wild turkey. Um, use the curiosity killed the cat method or theory more so than just uh, bombarding him with cutting and yelping to hear him gobble. Because, I mean, yeah, 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 it's fun to hear him gobble, but it is fun to tote him on your back when you get done after the end of the day and you get to squeeze that trigger on him. So, so if I was to give one tip after all this we've discussed today is is feel the bird out, don't overcall him, give him what he needs to hear based on his forward progression. So, and, and and if you overcall him nine times out of ten, that's going to cause that bird to hang up. Yep. Great, great. Any last questions, guys? We're getting ready to close her down. Unless you got a question, then we'll go two more hours. But uh, any other questions out there? Uh, I'd just like to thank Scott for setting us up, and thanks, Ron. Uh, and also, thanks for creating the Facebook page. It's been very helpful trying to get feedback from others in the industry and stuff. So appreciate it. Thank you. Awesome. You're very, very, very welcome. It's going to get crazier and crazier the closer, get closer it gets to turkey season. <laughs> <laughs> I already sensed that in the last few months. It looks like people are getting turkey crazy on that group. I'm getting more and more updates. Oh, it's unbelievable. Well, and just a little little food for thought, guys, that are members of TCOA, you can turn the notifications off and remain a member. That way you're not getting 900 notifications a day when people comment on something or they put a new post up. So just a food for thought, you can go into there. Um, I think it's in the notifications part of the, of the group, and you can turn those off so that you're not getting a bleep every time somebody posts something because it can be overwhelming. <laughs> I wake up in the morning, and there's like 297 uh, and notifications whenever I get to the group. But, yeah, but you're very welcome. I hope you enjoy it, and I hope you learn something from it. Well, Scott, I want to I want to thank you for tonight. This was a great show. I, you, you've given out a lot of information. And, again, I want to applaud you for uh, being willing to not only um, give your information on tonight's show, but with, the, with the, the Facebook and all the other things that you're doing out there. So I, I want to thank you for that. You're very welcome. Uh, I'm happy to do it. Okay, we're going to close the show down now, guys, but we'll go into a few minutes of a post-show that won't be taped. Um, tonight's show is being brought to you by ScottEllisHunting.com. Um, also being brought to you by Rednecks Pride Game Calls and Outdoor Sense. Uh, thank you for listening. 
want to thank God for his creation and allowing us to hunt and trap and fish in his creation. So talk to you all later. Good night. Good night. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.